Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about issues of the day from a biblical perspective, as well as highlights from interviews, conferences, and events. Here's Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. Illinois' life-saving Parental Notice of Abortion Act is under attack from pro-abortion lawmakers in the General Assembly. But Parents for the Protection of Girls, a grassroots coalition, is fighting the big push for repeal of the law. Several opponents of repeal spoke in defense of notification during a recent online news conference. Attorney Mary Helen Fiorito, the mother of three teenage daughters, served as moderator. She's a fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center. John Jones, the father of a teenage girl and a worship pastor at Christian Life Center located in Tenley Park in Blue Island, was the first speaker during the news event. 72% of overall respondents support the requirement that an adult family member be notified prior to an abortion. But it's worth noting that 76% of minority men and 74% of minority women support this law. So it's clear this law has the support of many across our state and it should not be repealed. I love my daughter and care very deeply about what goes on in her life. If she were to get pregnant and was to consider an abortion, I would want to know so my wife and I could help her deal with the unexpected situation. Because we love her, we feel it is our duty to protect and guide her. We are family and we deal with matters together. The state should not seek to interfere with our relationship. Current law requiring that a parent or adult family member be notified when a minor girl is seeking an abortion to us just makes common sense. It is the support of the family, which is the bedrock of society. I understand not every child comes from a home like ours and the needs of those children must be met as they are in this law with the provided exemptions to notification. But it is also important to weigh the needs of loving families and ensure the government not do more to denigrate them. When our state laws ensure children can't make their own decisions for accessing the tanning beds, tattoos, tobacco, it seems unfathomable that the law would allow a minor to make a decision to access abortion without any adult guidance. We know of the potential severe physical and emotional consequences associated with abortion. We cannot leave our children to face them alone. I urge you to consider the facts and keep the current law in place. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Jones. Our next speaker is considered one of the U.S.'s largest and most significant experts on human trafficking. Laura Letterer is now with the NGO Global Centurion. She has published the leading study on the connection between healthcare providers, sex trafficking, and abortion. She is the former deputy senior advisor to the Secretary of State and she helped to create the Office to Monitor and Combat Trafficking in Persons at the U.S. Department of State. She's also testified before uh, the U.S. House and the U.S. Senate on matters related to human sex trafficking. Thanks so much, Mary, for that introduction. Um, I'm here to support the law requiring parental notification before an abortion is performed on a minor. Over the past five years, a new focus on health and human trafficking has emerged as a result of my 2014 study entitled 
the health consequences of human trafficking, an original study of hundreds of victims of sex trafficking in the United States. It provided the first evidence that women and girls who are trafficked into prostitution suffer serious physical and mental consequences and seek care for these health issues while they are trapped in the trafficking situation. Since its publication, the study has been cited thousands of times in peer-reviewed journals and replicated by other researchers. Federal, state, and local governments have implemented trainings for healthcare professionals to recognize trafficking situations based on the recommendations in my study. One of the key conclusions of the study is that because of the physical and emotionally abusive situations, trafficking victims often seek healthcare providers for abortions, treatments of injuries, or birth control, among other health issues. These encounters with healthcare providers offer a life-saving opportunity for trafficking victims since they are alone with a trained authority who can contact family members on, or law enforcement on their behalf. The findings of my study are clear on the connection between trafficking, gynecological, and reproductive health issues. We found that 71% of survivors got pregnant at least once during the time they were trafficked. 21% got pregnant five times or more. 55% reported at least one abortion, and 30% reported multiple abortions during the time they were being trafficked. In addition, trafficking victims sought care for health pro uh, problems while they were trapped in the trafficking situation. In fact, 88% had contact with some kind of healthcare provider while they were trapped in the trafficking. 63% sought care from a hospital emergency room and 57% went to a clinic like a neighborhood clinic or a women's clinic. The study also found the trafficking victims were taken for abortions during the time they were trafficked. 68% said their abortions were performed at a clinic. 16% said their abortions were performed at a hospital. And 14% said their abortions were performed by other. These encounters with healthcare providers trained to recognize the signs of trafficking offer the victim the opportunity, sometimes the only opportunity, to escape the life of slavery with the trafficker. One survivor who was trafficked when she was a minor said that she got pregnant six times and that her trafficker arranged six abortions. She said, I had so much scar tissue from these abortions because there were no questions asked and no follow-up. In a couple of cases, I had bad infections, so bad that I eventually lost my fallopian tubes and had to have a hysterectomy. Over half of the survivors who said they had abortions said the abortions were forced by the trafficker. Some traffickers threatened their lives if they became pregnant and then used intimidation to force the abortions. In interviews, survivors told stories of being beaten around the stomach and womb when their traffickers found out they were pregnant. Abortion and sex trafficking transcends the usual political boundaries of the abortion debate, since it violates both the pro-life belief that abortion takes an innocent life and also the pro-choice ideal of a woman's freedom to make her own reproductive choices. The problem of abortion and trafficking should not be hidden, suppressed, or set aside as a fringe issue. Instead, it should be a part of any comprehensive anti-trafficking program. Unfortunately, these issues exist right now in a highly polarized atmosphere. So the fallback position has been to ignore pregnancy, miscarriage, abortion, and other gynecological and reproductive issues encountered in trafficking 
from education and awareness problems, from trainings on health and human trafficking, and especially from law and policy. The unintended consequences of ignoring these issues is that the entities such as clinics that could uncover trafficking and save the life of a trafficking victim are missing these opportunities. Illinois' current law on parental notification of abortion offers a key opportunity to recognize a trafficking victim and to free her from a lifetime of slavery. Thank you. And thank you very much, Ms. Letterer, and as well for your many decades of work in trying to combat the sexual trafficking, especially of minor girls. Our next guest who will be sharing her story with us this morning is Dr. Brooke Bellow. Dr. Bellow holds a doctorate in pastoral counseling and is the founder and CEO of an organization called More to Life, which provides services for victims of human trafficking and also engages in prevention programs of the same. Uh, she has been honored with a Lifetime Achievement Award from the White House by President Barack Obama, and she has worked for many years now to empower those who are the survivors of human trafficking, herself being among them. And so we're very grateful to her for her willingness to share her story with us this morning. Dr. Bello. Thank you for allowing me to share regarding such an urgent matter. Why wouldn't someone, unless it's an emancipated youth, why wouldn't someone give the opportunity for that youth's parents to be notified? How can a parent absolutely raise and guide their child why would someone want to keep such a profound thing that affects the womb health, the life throughout that child's life, keep such a profound secret? I was raped at 11 years old. I started being trafficked as a young teen. Our traffickers made us get abortions. Had my parent been notified, my mother would have known what city I was in. She would have known what street I possibly would have been near. She could have contacted law enforcement. And then the mitigation of the issues I suffered my entire life being happily married, not just the issues with endometriosis and other aspects of wound health, but because I was so young, my doctor, even as an actor with really good insurance at, at a young age, didn't understand that I had issues related to previous abortion. It wasn't until later in life that my gynecologist said, oh my God, what happened to you when you were young? Had you had any abortions? And when I expressed I had abortions, it was one doctor that said, this is why you've been trying to have children for years and have had miscarriage after miscarriage after miscarriage and other issues with my health related to that. And so we have to notify parents, not just because of trafficking, but a young girl could have been date raped, trafficked, the grooming process, all the different fears that a trafficker puts inside of her head to say, now you can't go home because you're pregnant. You know that many, many, many victims that we serve at Mort to Life have had to have abortions. And all I ever wanted was to be loved, to be married, to have three children before I was trafficked. I knew that I was going to have three kids. And they're in heaven. I've had so many miscarriages. I'm sure I have many, many children. And so I ask the public and I ask the Illinois legislature, why would you want a child to keep something secret that's going to affect the rest of her life? By the time that I was rescued, I thought, and all of, you know, even my family thought life is going to get better. You'll be married one day, you'll have children, and you'll be able to put it behind you. But I had to have a partial hysterectomy and then a full hysterectomy. And my doctor said, had you found out all of this earlier, we could have effectively dealt 
with all of the scar tissue and all of the issues and you would have been able to have children. And so the reason I, I'm personally pro-life is because I understand the sanctity and the beauty of life. And so I, I, I beg of you, I, I plead Illinois to not reverse and to please notify parents. I think that every state should notify parents. Why keep something a secret that affects someone's life for the rest of their life and is absolutely connected to various issues of human trafficking and rape and violence that that youth is probably afraid to share? Give them a safe place to fall and notify parents. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dr. Bello. And um, not only for your testimony itself, but for, for all you're doing to help victims who still exist now and to try to prevent it from happening in the future by helping us to save a law like our Parental Notification of Abortion Act. Attorney Mary Helen Fiorito during a news conference in support of the Illinois Parental Notice of Abortion Act. More after this. This is Albert Moeller for townhall.com. The city of Cambridge, Massachusetts will now legalize polyamorous relationships. Yes, polyamory is the project du jour and Cambridge, home to Harvard and MIT, is also home to this latest experiment. The argument put forward is that the definition of the family is changing. The law has to keep up or else people will be vulnerable because their own relationships will not be recognized. So a marital family unit in Cambridge will include any number of participants who simply, and I quote, consider themselves to be a family. What's at stake here is the redefinition of the family from anything based on the familial construct, which has been true throughout millennia. That is by blood descent, a man, a woman coming together in marriage and the children who are produced by that marriage and the larger extended family of blood kinship and adoption. That, the natural family unit, is what advocates want to denormalize. Don't say you weren't warned. Don't be surprised this was Cambridge, Massachusetts. I'm Albert Mueller. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. During this edition, we're featuring portions of a news conference organized by a grassroots coalition called Parents for the Protection of Girls. The coalition is opposing legislation backed by Planned Parenthood that will repeal the Illinois Parental Notice of Abortion Act. The moderator for the online news event was attorney, life activist, and mom, Mary Helen Fiorito. We're going to hear now from Dr. Jackie Pfeiffer, who holds a doctoral degree in psychology and whose expertise includes the brain development of teenagers. She has almost three decades of clinical experience treating children, teenagers, and families, including six years of working as a neuropsychologist. And again, for those of you who have teenagers, you are well aware that impulse control and decision-making can sometimes be irrational, if not outright uh, puzzling to, to parents sometimes. It's why our car insurance rates are so much higher for our teenage drivers, and they are for adult drivers, and also why our criminal justice system is now taking an increasingly long and hard look at sentencing guidelines for teenage perpetrators of crime because of that brain development difference. So Dr. Pfeiffer, thank you again for your time this morning. We are looking forward to your testimony. I thank you so much for allowing me to be here. I am a psychologist, but I'm also the mother of two daughters, both in the mental health field, and one who is going on her psychological internship, and she is bearing a female baby. So we've done a lot of research now on the in utero 
brain development and all the way through the first year and what to do, what is best for the baby. Um, so it's really exciting. And working in neuropsychology has been great. And also clinically seeing people in all different areas of life, you know, working with them in state hospitals, mental health centers, in-home family therapy. And I've also taught a lot in with college students and now doing private practice. So what I have to say is a lot about the brain development of adolescence. And I think it's important for you all to think about this because I know some of the laws that are already in play there have been based on the brain development of adolescence. So I know currently in Illinois, minors are not allowed to consent to sexual intercourse until they are 17 years old. They cannot join the military or vote until they are 18, and they cannot buy cigarettes until 21. A child under 18 cannot receive a piercing or tattoo without parental consent. And I imagine all of these laws have been made with the logic and reason based on the theories of child development, particularly brain development and decision-making. So we wonder, you know, what stage of cognitive development are teens? We also want to know about their emotional regulation during decision-making. And that is what's so great about brain development studies. So we find that the majority of teens are not prepared to make long-term decisions because they do not reflect, synthesize, integrate, and project thinking into the future. Some of the simplest things we ask teens are what would their life be like in five years? Many of them cannot even conceive these kinds of changes that would take place for them. In the brain, we know that teens are working in the medial frontal area whereas adults using the prefrontal cortex in the decision-making, the higher cortical structures. So my little granddaughter is starting to develop her brain in utero from back into mid, and then finally into frontal, the very last part of her brain that will be developed, but also the last part of her brain that will be uh, utilized as she's growing. So when teens are in this stage Although they have the 86 billion neurons that they had as a baby and they'll have as an aging person, they don't use them the same way. The way that the brain is on the inside is different from the way the function and the structure of the brain actually is. So they're working much more in their reinforcement centers, their pain pleasure centers, and they are not able to make the decisions as quickly and in future focus. So this is very important that we think about this with this law. Now, the other part of it real quickly is the idea that they would not be talking to the parents, the ones who have birthed them and walked them through their lives up into the stage. So we would ask that these teens would keep secrets. And so in psychology, we know that lots of secret keeping is based on anxiety disorders. Probably the most foremost that you've heard of is the post-traumatic stress disorder. And those are people who have often had not just um, military experience, but also abuse, neglect, and uh, things that really impact the brain development and how they have to inhibit things their whole life. So this causes an over-dominant uh, response in the fight-flight center of the brain. So we can imagine how this will stagnate the brain development and make it harder for them to grow normally as they age. So as a clinical psychologist, a mother of two girls, and now a grandma of a little baby girl, I believe there are just so many better ways that we can assist pregnant women and teens with unplanned pregnancy. And it so saddens me to think that they would not have the guidance of their families to help this in this critical decision-making, uh, knowing that their brains are not capable of doing that and their emotions are not regulated to the point of understanding how this will impact their future. Thank you very much.
Dr. Pfeiffer, if I could ask a follow-up question, please, to your testimony. One of the criticisms of our efforts to save the Illinois Parental Notice Act is that a young woman would find it too traumatizing to go before a judge to ask for that um, judicial bypass that we have present in the law. So um, if, if a girl is living in a difficult or untenable situation with her family or with another group of people, that having to go before a judge presents uh, an incredible burden to her. What would you say to those who make that argument? Well, I would say, you know, after seeing families for over 30 years, it's so important to recognize that there are so many ways we can work through this. And as a clinical psychologist, that's the first thing we would say, even if we had a report of incest, is that we would want to work with the families. We'd want to work with the girls in order to give them time and uh, make these decisions appropriately for their future. So I would say that that is a very crucial problem for teens to have to go and ask these kinds of things when we have other means of helping them through their families and um, also keeping them safe from any kind of perpetrators in their own home. Mm -hmm. Ms. Letter, if I could sort of follow up with you on this point, we know from uh, the statistics compiled by the Guttmacher Institute, which is the former research arm of Planned Parenthood, that half of all abortions are now repeats because there's no legal limit on the number of abortions that you can that you can have even when you're a minor. And to my mind, if uh, you have a minor girl who does not need to notify her parents or uh, a guardian or a grandparent that she's going to have an abortion procedure, not only does it permit an abuser, as you have well, so well pointed out in your study, to be able to take her for that secret abortion, but it removes her from the possibility of escaping that particular abuse situation. So all she does is have the abortion and go right back into the same uh, household setting where she lived. And so if there is a judicial bypass where she can say to an adult with responsibility and quite possibly uh, someone who is a mandated reporter, I am being abused, then an adult with an authority to, to remove her from that household may do so. When you were writing your paper and in all the research you did and the work you did for the State Department, did you come across situations like this? And how would you respond to that criticism that it just really um, isn't good for girls to have to go before a judge? In the study that we did, we interviewed um, in depth hundreds of, of survivors. And I'm, I'm thinking of stories of survivors who said, I was trafficked when I was 13. I was trapped in it until I was 23. I had, you know, multiple abortions. This one, one survivor had 17 abortions, all at the same clinic. There was nothing in place to help her when she was a minor, notification of any sort to any adult, whether it's parent, whether it was parent or whether it was uh, another responsible adult who could help with that situation. So I think at the very least, we have to have something in place um, so that there is a, uh, a flag. It's a, it's a flag. It's a flag when there's one abortion, but it's, a, it's definitely a flag when there are multiple abortions. And right mm -hmm. now, the health providers and the clinic providers and frankly, the abortion clinics themselves do not have the kind of in-depth training in place so that they themselves can um, uh, understand the signs and indicators of trafficking and identify a victim and respond appropriately. 
So we have a lot of work to do, but I think the minor notification is just one small but very important part of the, uh, the, the larger sort of spectrum of rescue or exit strategies that we can uh, have uh, available to us. I have an acquaintance who's uh, who worked at uh, abortion facility for a number of years and had the situation where she had the same minor brought in within a th- three month period twice by the same man. And she said she attempted to try to speak to the girl privately, but she was so afraid she wouldn't, you know, she wouldn't reveal to her. But she said, I could tell she was either being trafficked or she was an incest victim, one of the two. She said she was not there on her own volition. So I often think of just that one personal anecdote and multiply that by the number of teenagers just in the state of Illinois. And we could really be facilitating very, very dangerous um, and illegal behavior by overturning this law. And I like what um, uh, Dr. Bellow said also that, that, uh, you know, this isn't just about sex trafficking. This is about that whole spectrum of violence uh, against women and girls um, that uh, is occurring right now. And so we can find ways to intervene. And I say respond appropriately because I think there are a whole spectrum of responses. But first, you have to identify, you have to have that sign, that indicator, and you have to have a method. And the parental notification is one of those tools in the toolbox. And, and Dr. Bellow, as, as someone who was post-abortive yourself several times, we all know that there's an aftermath to abortion um, that can be physical, as it was in your case with your endometriosis, but also psychological and, and spiritual. And a point of concern that a number of people have raised you know, in, the, in the discussions around overturning our Parental Notice Act is that chemical abortions are often used now, along with surgical ones. And in chemical abortions, a young woman, a teenager can, um, you know, pass her child's remains anywhere, um, at, at, at home in her bathroom, perhaps at school. And then the trauma that's associated with coming face to face with those fetal remains is significant. And so we're also setting up our young people for that sort of emotional trauma with their parents not even knowing what's what's wrong and what's bothering them. Can you speak to that a little bit? Sure, Mary. I think that the passing of remains is... It's such a profound statement. I don't think that young people, just because of brain development, have the capacity to understand the weight and the loss. Um, oftentimes, those that are pro-choice um, have this sort of understanding that it's not really, you know, in that first trimester or that first eight weeks or that first three months, it's not really a child. And young people don't really fully understand. They just haven't fully developed uh, emotionally or psychologically. But when I got to the age where I really understood what was happening, my husband had to hold me and rock me, it would seem for weeks and months and years, because even though it wasn't my fault, of course, I blame myself. When we look at the idea of prosecutions and we think about the idea that less than 6% of rapes in the country ever go to trial, because the high propensity of victims don't tell, they think it's their fault. And so if you don't notify parents, there is that weight there. And so once that child realizes I could have done something, you mean maybe I could have fought, maybe I could have run away, maybe I could have told, maybe I could have done something, or maybe I could have understood my body more to mitigate the issue, or maybe I wasn't a victim. Maybe I went to have an abortion because I'm 16 and my boyfriend was 16 and we decided to do this. And then she wakes up at 18 and 21 with all of these psychological issues and the pop understanding what the value and the beauty of life. And then there there are the issues of womb health. 
You cannot tell me that the killing of something of life inside of you, even as small of a single cell, that there is no ramification. We are nurturers as women. And there is an effect psychologically and emotionally throughout someone's life if they allow that to happen. It's just how it is. Yeah. Dr. Bello, thank you so much. You know, you've made us as people who are unfamiliar with how this even happens, you know, uh, so much more familiar with it and with all the good work that you're doing at your program. We can find you at your website at brookbello.com. Thank you to uh, all of our, our speakers. I think you've been given brief but significant um, set of reasons as to why saving the parental notice bill in Illinois is so critically important to parents, to the rights of parents to be responsible for the, de- the medical decisions and medical procedures being performed on their minor girls, to the other long-term ramifications that overturning this law could have. So I, I join all of the other parents who are, are part of our grassroots coalition to, um, to keep the Illinois parental notice bill intact. It saves so many lives. It saves uh, so much heartache and um, dangerous situations uh, for minor children in our state. And to, to do away with it would be just an absolute disaster to all concerned and would not go uh, anywhere towards protecting minor girls from trauma or abuse. Attorney Mary Hallen Fiorito, during an online news conference organized by Parents for the Protection of Girls, a grassroots coalition opposing legislation in the General Assembly that will repeal Illinois' life-saving Parental Notice of Abortion Act. Make sure you call your state lawmakers and tell them to vote no on repeal of parental notice. For lawmaker names and phone numbers, click officials finder at illinoisfamily.org. And while you're on the IFI homepage, click Bill Tracker to keep tabs on parental notice and other current legislation being considered in the General Assembly. Please tell your family and friends about Illinois Family Spotlight and support the work of the Illinois Family Institute. Until next time, stay healthy, stay active, and God bless. For more information about Illinois Family Spotlight, visit ifiaction.org. And to email questions and comments, do so at feedback at ifiaction.org.